1: This is Southern Remedy for Women on NPB Think Radio. This is the show all about addressing issues of health and wellness from a woman's perspective or a couple of women today, me and Dr. Michelle Owens. I'm Dr. Allie Brown. I'm a pathologist and the Chief Officer for Medical Quality at the American Society for Clinical Pathology. And my co-host, Dr. Michelle Owens, is so many wonderful things. She is an expert in maternal fetal medicine at UMMC, but I'm so glad that you're back. I'm glad to be back. It's great yeah. to be here today um, talking to the wonderful folks of Mississippi and beyond. Indeed. And, and with, ma'am. With
0: our wonderful guests.
1: That's right, I was is about to say. fabulous. We have something so definitely to talk about that's very um, timely and poignant. We're talking about uh, LGBT, LGBTQ issues and support and all the wonderful things going on at UMMC to help support this population of our citizens of mississippi and beyond like i just said dr scott rogers who is the chairman of psychiatry at ummc so it's great to have you again
2: thank you it's great to be here
0: well, your time, mic sounds good yeah last time we got together um we were still via skype i think did oh, we skype right. yeah that's we were right. still skyping so sitting we, in the office i know hadn't had a chance to be graced by your presence thank like, you in person so <laughs> it's really great good to
2: be here
1: yeah, nothing like being in person for some reason now with the COVID numbers going down. Of course, we don't want to get a false sense of confidence, but it's a fantastic trend True. to see.
0: Yay, Things, Mississippi. Uh, yes. Thank you for for everything that you've done to help. Absolutely. It's taken It has taken a concerted effort on behalf of all of us for, mm-hmm. for us to finally start to see these numbers where they are.
1: Yes, let's get yes. back to whatever normal life is, whatever it looks like now. But I think it looks great. The new normal. All right. Well, let's start talking about LGBTQ issues. There have been lots of things in the media and, and things like that. But it's always good to know that there are uh, resources here for our folks in the state of Mississippi. Um, I'm so proud to be a faculty member at UMMC to be able to say that there is such a program at UMMC. Um, it is can be somewhat controversial. And there are a lot of things that I think a lot of folks maybe don't understand. Um, and I think, like with everything else, information and compassion go a long way, really, toward being inclusive and just understanding of people that might not necessarily be like you or like something that maybe you grew up uh, hearing about or knowing. And I think that getting the word out there and the message out there is really the first step, right, in acceptance and just loving one another.
0: Well, oh, yeah. Oh, I- I totally agree. I think like the the most important thing is you know we're all if, if we're all individuals and and unique and uniquely made you know we're like as as independent and as unique as our fingerprints. Um, then you realize that you know each one of us has something about us that's different from someone else, and it's just been my experience as I've continued to acquire. Um, years in my twenty-five years of living on this earth, <laughs> that, um, <laughs> that that seriously, that it's the things that there are more things that we have in common um, than the things that separate or divide us. And I, I love what you said about um, just the concept of of information. Um, I am a little disturbed about the this trend um, because there seems to be a school of thought that for those things that we don't understand or for those things that may be different or what we may view as unusual based on our lived experience that somehow not talking like silence is better than conversation and sharing of information and I would just submit to you that um, if somebody ever tried, in any instance I'll use myself, any instance where I've I've been introduced to something new and it was something that I didn't understand. It never became more clear to me by remaining silent and not asking questions. (laughs) It was never more clear. So um, I think that, you know, if we take and just those very simple things that we know like, how do we respond to things in our workplace or in schools and education and those kinds of things when you don't know, you ask? Um, even if you're talking about, you know, even for those people who are religious folks, they talk about this concept of, of you know, seeking and you shall find or what have you. Like, the concept of um, us being inquisitive human beings and if there's something that is presented to us that we don't recognize or understand that we probably will learn more and understand more by encouraging dialogue than we ever do by limiting discussions, by limiting um, the ability to learn more. Um, I think with more information, people become more comfortable. I think that we've seen that in COVID, right? Think about where we were two years ago um, when things first got started and how little we knew. And people continued asking questions. We kept talking about it. Um, And and as we learned more information, we figured out how to deal with it. We figured out how to live with it. We figured out how to overcome. And I just think that, you know, we're seeing that played out time and time again in our lives. And we have to just kind of take a moment to really focus on that and apply that in other areas and aspects of our lives. I think that kind of is how we get to the best of us
1: well dr rogers thank you for helping yes. us do that um and for bringing those programs uh to our medical center and to our citizens mm-hmm.
0: tell us thank about you,
2: you. <laughs> so i'm i'm uh, my name is scott rogers and i'm the chair of psychiatry the department of psychiatry and human behavior at UMMC. i've been here almost seven and a half years i'm originally from um, atlanta georgia uh, but I'm happy to be living in Mississippi now. And yes, uh, so you know, I I do a lot of things at the university, but but something that that I'm really passionate about and is is this topic of LGBTQ health. And a few years ago, we if if you'd like, would you like for me to tell you a little of the story? Yeah. Absolutely, I'd love to hear would it, like yes. to have it. Yeah, so a few years ago. Um, we we were we were getting some patients in our general clinics in psychiatry that identified as LGBTQ and we did our best to provide them care but we quickly realized that we didn't have a comprehensive care plan that was available for them that included not just people on the mental health side but also in medicine and um, family medicine and OBGYN and, you know, every, every one of the disciplines, um, and across the different health professions, we just didn't have a comprehensive, uh, group of people and an approach. Uh, and we felt that that was needed. So I was aware, um, a few years ago that, that this was needed and something that we could probably achieve. So we began meeting on a regular basis for a period of probably two years. Ultimately we developed, um, a, Um, a center it was called the center of lgbtq health it has since been renamed we have aligned it with national naming standards so now it is called the center for gender and sexual minority health and as part of that, in, in, in all of this work, um, we, have, we have brought in people from um, most of the health profession schools on campus. Many of the departments uh, from the School of Medicine participate, but we also have people from the School of Pharmacy. The School of Nursing is actively involved. We have people from um, uh, the social work world involved in helping us. So people come from all over the campus uh, together um, as part of the center, and we created uh, a a clinic, and it meets once a month, and it's called TEAM Clinic, T-E-A-M, and it's an acronym. TEAM stands for Trustworthy, Evidence-Based, Affirming, and Multidisciplinary. And our group meets on the first Friday afternoon of each month uh, out in, in Flowood, uh, Mississippi, and we have a website with an email and um, a, a phone number that patients can call, patients and families can call to reach us if they're ever interested in making an appointment. But we offer um, services that range from psychiatry, psychology to internal medicine. We have, we have um, you know, a big group of people that come together and a lot of our trainees actually, a lot of our resident trainees and our medical students and nursing students and pharmacy students, even graduate students, at the university have shown an interest and so on any given afternoon we may have as many as 30 people there in attendance and so that is you know from basically zero mm-hmm. to having now 30 providers from all the different schools and there's been so much interest that it, it, we it, at times we almost have to limit you know what we can the number uh-huh. of people that can participate because That's amazing. i think people in mississippi do care a great deal about this issue this is one of the things that is um so heartening you know as a as a leader on campus you realize you, you know when you put an effort together like this and you create a structure an infrastructure in which something good can happen um people respond very favorably and they like to get involved and they like to participate and people are not asking to be paid extra money they're not asking for all perks and you know um special deals left and right they just come because they care about the the issue and they want to help um I, I know your, your uh, audience is aware of this, but UMMC is here for the entire state of Mississippi. It is not here for only a portion of the state of Mississippi. So when we think about that and we think about our mission, uh, this would include every member of the LGBTQ community. We want that community to feel welcome and, and a part of what we're doing as we advance healthcare in Mississippi and work um, to, to create a healthier Mississippi.
1: And, and so, thank you for that. Something I've learned from you yes. the, over the times we've met is, you know, the thing about access. When you think about access to care, you think about physical barriers, people living in remote areas or um, access around affordability of care, or insured. But you may have someone that lives right next to a clinic, has health insurance, but for them. Access is limited because they don't feel like they're safe to be heard or to be seen, and that's a whole nother degree of of access that is heartbreaking, really, if you think about it. So, thank you for all of the efforts um, that you put together to li- limit one of those barriers um, in, in that capacity.
0: Absolutely, that's a and that's a, an issue. I think that is not just it's not just unique to. One population, we see that time and time again, um, in a variety of situations, and even when we talk about you know our maternal health crisis and some of those Mm -hmm. other issues, this concept of um, you know access is not always proximity to Um, people. Sometimes feel like oh it it's got to be a financial thing. It's not even a financial thing. I mean, it doesn't make a difference if you if every door is open and yet. If you can't get care in a place where you feel safe or you feel as though you would be respected or where you even feel like you can be honest about what your problems or issues are, um, then that's the biggest barrier to access that exists. And I think a lot of times we get um, taken off like the focus is shifted. Because we believe well, we can focus on these other things right we'll we 'll focus on the fact that there's a financial issue, so we can work we can work on the money we'll talk about access and we'll put more providers out or we'll put them out in the communities and those kinds of things, and we still don't realize that that doesn't take care of the entire problem, and that the concept of inclusion and this whole concept we hate to talk about medicine as a business but the the customer service piece is so important because it's really hard to care for people if you don't care about them we know that the people who are cared about are cared for better Um, and the other part is it's really difficult for you to give people the best care if you don't have some level of connection with them and if they don't feel comfortable in the environment because the way I tell my residents the patients are holding all the cards it's up to you to get that to get that information from them and in order to do that it's not just about asking the right questions it's how you how you make them feel it's about the connection much more than it is about the the question because the conversation is really predicated upon the connection much more so than anything
1: well this is a great conversation I think it's time for our first break that number is 1-877-MPB ring 1-877-672-7464 join us on this conversation if you have any comments or questions for dr. Rogers this is southern remedy for women on mpb think radio
3: I'm professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law Host of in Legal Terms. Find in Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org.
1: This is Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. This is the show all about addressing issues of health and wellness from a woman's perspective. I'm Dr. Allie Brown, I'm a pathologist here with my co-host, Dr. Michelle Owens, who is an OBGYN and an expert in maternal fetal medicine. <laughs> it, you are an OBGYN Dr. Owens, and I am I a doctor. I am,
0: you are correct. Even though some people
1: don't think a pathologist is a doctor, it is, so it's okay.
0: We know who you are.
1: Yeah, we know who you are, <laughs> we, we know you're listening. And our special guest, Dr. Scott Rogers, who is the chair of psychiatry at UMMC. There's a lot to talk about around psychiatry as well. I mean, we could spend many, many shows just talking about what the pandemic has done to the psyche of of just not just the pandemic. Uh, Can we go into all the other? It's a hard time. Dr. Rogers, if
0: you have a couch... Um, <laughs> we want to lie on it. Uh-huh. <laughs> we, is it comfy? Yeah, because we need would, to be there for a while. This is more than an hour. It would be more than an hour. That's all I'm going to say. It would be more than an hour to unload all of this for the past couple of years. It's been a lot. And then I will just say that this concept of reentry <laughs> into into like, something that looks like w- the frenzy that was our lives prior to COVID... Um, I think it's doing its own. It's wreaking its own havoc on me from an anxiety perspective. Because I am. I'm. I'm getting more and more nervous about getting back into it. Um, so yeah, there's that. So if anybody out there also is kind of feeling a little hesitant or reluctant about getting back to quote normal and what that looks like, or some of the demands that exist, um, you are not alone. Um, we. We. You. Me. Same. We are the same. Maybe yeah. We are
1: definitely talking about LGBTQ <laughs> issues. Um, if you uh, um, have any questions about resources available or have some questions or comments, stories, uh, stories to share, please give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or if you want to talk about reentry after COVID and all the I know. Oh stress my and anxiety. Gosh. I'm a hermit as it is, so um, I quite didn't mind it. Um, but it's even making it harder to get out there, okay. so I get it. Yeah, I get
0: it. Indeed. So um, Dr. Rogers, it was kind of funny. I wanted to be able to say, and we're here with Mr. Rogers, but you're Dr. Rogers. So <laughs> He's never heard him. that Mr. before, Dr. right? Rogers. <laughs> no, but I mean, he you totally have that Mr. Rogers effect for me. Like, all, all you need is a little red sweater, and it would be perfect. But um, so there may be some people... Um, who are listening in our audience who are not very familiar with this subject matter or who may have a very, I guess, superficial understanding. So and and so I was just thinking about some of the things that that I've heard people say that I think are really kind of important things to help people kind of wrap their heads around or understand. And so one of the things is we've been talking a lot about um, about names and this concept of like identity and those kinds of things like, what's in a name to be kind of Shakespearean? Um, Does it, but does it really, does it really matter? Or, and and if so, why? What's, what's the big deal? I mean, what's the big deal?
2: Why do we categorize so much, in other words?
0: Yeah. And and because I think there are, there are a lot of people who really Mm -hmm. don't understand it. And I think some people, if they understood it, wouldn't be so bothered by it and might not make the mistake of unintentionally using language or taking a position that might actually hurt someone that they care about or love.
2: And I think some people who are really well-intentioned sometimes um, are fearful about even talking about this topic because they're afraid they'll say something offensive and mm-hmm. hurt someone's feelings. Yeah. And so there's a lot of, you know, in the medical community, we see that all the time. Like they're,
1: pretend it doesn't exist. Yes, mm-hmm.
2: yes. Because But they're good people mm-hmm. and they're, they're not, you know, discriminatory or in, in any way. They just, they just worry about being offensive. So they don't mm-hmm. talk, you know, about it. But you do have to get comfortable with language. That's one of the things I've learned. You really have to, and it, it takes practice, you have to do a lot of reading, and, and we've – you know, the thing that's interesting about this, I'm, I'm 55 years old, and when I was uh, in high school and, and in college and in medical school, this wasn't talked about. This – you know, my generation of people uh, across the country really didn't – we didn't get an education on um, sexual health and specifically around, you know, gender identity. That was just a completely foreign concept. So, the, the, you know, we talk a lot in medicine about continuing education you know lifelong learning this is something that is very real for anyone who wants to participate in helping the lgbtq community because we're learning so much about how to do it and and um, how to provide evidence-based optimal care to this population and it requires you know adding to what you've your base of knowledge from your you know medical school training and residency training you've got to learn now about all this work how this works and and that means just being open, open-minded, learning as you go, understanding that you will make mistakes sometimes in the in the words that you choose, but that's okay. As long as your heart is in the right place, I think patience will um, give you the benefit of the doubt, and and understand that you have their best interest in, in heart at heart. So.
1: So what are some of the ways we're introducing this into the medical school um, curriculum at UMass?
2: Well, so we've done a lot of, I mean, in addition to our clinic, um, we have a three-part mission. We do research, clinical care, obviously with team clinic, and then we do um, education. On the education front, we we want to keep in mind that we have seven schools on campus. So it's School of Medicine, but then you have nursing and dentistry, and you have pharmacy and allied health professions, and you have a graduate school, and you you have all these different groups. So we think about educating not only the students in each of these schools, but also all the resident trainees and the faculty. And then let's not forget the staff, because it's the staff who will be checking in the patient sometimes and calling them and interacting with them. So there's a huge educational component to, to this work. So we have developed uh, webinars. We, we do in-person talks. We come to radio shows when we're invited, you know, and do whatever we can to get the word out and and, and talk about this so people get comfortable with it. Um, so the School of Medicine has, um, I have been invited to give talks in the School of Medicine. Other members of our group have done the same. And they're actively engaged in trying to um, introduce this topic into the curriculum. Um, I think this is happening in some of the other schools as well. So it's not just the School of Medicine, but there there are all sorts of, um, uh, approaches that you can take um, on the preclinical and the clinical side of things with the School of Medicine. I would add something else, though, that I, wanted, I just want to talk about. We have 10,000 employees at UMMC. We have 3,000 students. Um, we have thousands upon thousands of patients that come through our doors every year. So we had to look at not just the curriculum and not just having a clinic, but also all of the hospital's policies. And so things like like visitation rights for a same-sex couple, we had to look at that. We had to change our policies. We had to look at... um, um, uh, every aspect of human resources in terms of how we're hiring, adding non-discrimination language wherever it's needed, you know. So with the help of our diversity, equity, and inclusion group at UMMC, we have um, implemented wide-ranging changes, including um, allowing patients to give their preferred names and preferred pronouns on the electronic health record in EPIC. So we, this has been a massive effort in terms of education, with 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 policy changes, with teaching staff, teaching faculty, students, residents, everybody throughout the entire organization, um, and we have achieved a, um, a wonderful distinction, a wonderful honor, which is we're considered now a leader in health care by the Healthcare Equality Index, which is an outgrowth of the human rights campaign. We were the first hospital in Mississippi and the only hospital for a period of time back in 2018 to be designated as an equality leader on LGBTQ health. The VA actually joined us after that. And now there's a small Hospital in Bay St. Louis, actually, that has. They're the third hospital, but there's no one else with that designation. So we're very proud of that, and that's something that um, that is being talked about now. That you know, um, when patients come to see us and they're in our hospital, there is this approach that is very. You know, we talk about inclusion. You can't mm-hmm. just talk the talk without walking the walk. That's right. Right. So we're doing it.
0: I think that is great, and as I mean, for if we're all working at UMC, but um, I think that's awesome because, you know, we're an academic health center and, you know, I think people expect us to to take the lead on on some of these things. And and the truth is that leading is not always easy and, you know, it takes a lot of hard work, I think, to to do the things sometimes that are, are right and that should be done. But just because it's the right thing to do doesn't always mean that it's easy. And so congratulations on that effort um, because I know that without your, your leadership, um, we probably wouldn't be as far along down this road. And the, the, the downstream effects of that are huge. Not just, it's, it's a badge of honor for the medical center, but such an impactful thing for, for Mississippi mm-hmm. and, and, and for the people within Mississippi.
1: Absolutely, and so for those patients. Well, first of all, let's give out the number one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You don't have to give your name or your location or anything like that. We often ask for that, but as for any show we have, if it's a sensitive topic or if you just have something to discuss, it's not necessary. We'd love to hear from you and be able to address any sort of questions and comments you might have. As Dr. Rogers said, this is a good way to get the word out and to. Talk about all the wonderful things happening at UMMC, but we know that in this world, in the real world, there is still a lot of um, resources and just issues that are lacking for patients in certain marginalized communities or people, not even patients, I suppose. So we definitely want to talk about things and decrease stigma about certain things and let the listening audience know that there is a safe place. Um, and there is guidance available for those dealing with this, you know, whether it's happening to you or to a loved one. Um, that there are issues that are making someone feel marginalized or unsupported. You know, we want to spread love and care for all because that is, as physicians, you know, speaking for us, that's one of the thing reasons we became physicians. Not because, as Dr. Owen said, we want to care for some people, but we really want to care for all
0: people. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, I, I did a, a informative, like a little awareness uh, talk last night, because yesterday was the National Day for um, HIV Awareness for Women and Girls, and I got asked to um, speak a little bit about the influence of, or the impact of HIV specifically as it pertained to women and girls, and one of the things that we were talking about, and this is not trying to tie this into LGBTQ, but just saying that you know the issue of stigma and its influence or impact on health, not just on um, the the way that people like the the impact that it has on people not choosing to seek out health care, um, but how it serves as a barrier to people getting the health care that they need. Um, that was one of the big topics of conversation in last night's dialogue, um, and and. You know, I hear this over and over and over again. I, and and even in, in my world, in the OBGYN world, I deal with this a lot in patients who have certain diagnoses. And, you know, this issue of, well, even if I'm at risk, I, I don't want to know. Because then I have to deal with what everybody else is going to think or what have you. and um, And how that keeps people... From seeking out the thing that's really truthfully in their best interest. Um, And, you know, we were talking about this concept of like that, that is like the greatest self love is when you love yourself enough to find out whatever it is and then to address it. But I also recognize that that takes a lot of courage and a lot of bravery. And so, um, Dr. Rogers, if you could just talk a little bit about some of the mental health challenges. Oh, we have a caller on the line. But um, so we'll go ahead and go to the call. And then after that, talk a little bit about um, reducing stigma and also um, some of the mental health issues and challenges that might come about as a result of um, folks being, you know, in this situation and not really feeling like they're in a supportive environment.
1: All right, Gerald is calling us from Diamond Head. Hey, Gerald.
3: Hello. From the coast, what's going on? Well, I just want to call and say thank you for the subject matter you are dealing with today. Uh, I moved here about a year ago, my wife and I did. We retired, and we have a son that lives nearby, and so we we moved here with our grandkids and all. But uh, we moved here from Tennessee, and uh, we we really... um, we're in a fairly progressive community, and and uh, we in the church I was part of, we went through the whole process of dealing with this very issue. We had the experts come in, and and it lasted about eight weeks. And we did a number of really neat things. And by the time we got through, our whole congregation was on board. We're ready to, you know, we want we want to be. Um, interested in helping and serving this population and so I I really appreciate the fact that you're doing this today this is the first thing that I've heard of any kind of reasoned thinking and discussion about the subject since I've been in Mississippi so thank you
0: thank you so much Gerald that makes us feel really good
3: (laughs) well uh, I have a son who's gay and he is an Episcopal priest in New Jersey And uh, we've been, we've tried to be very supportive of him, and we have been. And and, uh, uh, actually, my wife is visiting him even as we speak; she's up there now. Uh, But uh, I, I wonder if there is anything that any one of the three of you, but particularly Dr. Rogers, could say about uh, you know how do we get past all the prejudice that is that is alive in in this situation. I mean, I I know that everybody wants to have good medical care and all that, but but you know, there's just so much negative prejudice that which I guess prejudice is always negative. But but talk about that a little bit if you can.
2: Thank you, thank you, Gerald, for for calling in and uh, and um, for moving to Mississippi from Tennessee. I actually lived in Tennessee for 19 years. I was in Nashville. I'm not sure where you were, but I was there. A very progressive 20. city. Oh yes, I, I know it well.
3: 20, I went to I went to Vanderbilt and uh, yes. medical care and my Mark mm-hmm. Robbins, who's a graduate of your school there, was my cardiologist, and he's a fine wow. young man, and uh, uh, he he's graduate of Mississippi. Uh, he's from Mississippi, but he. He was a Vanderbilt cardiologist.
2: I was and on the, the faculty there for a long time. But anyway, I'm glad to be in Mississippi well, believe, now and appreciate I, I, that you are too. I
3: believe <laughs> not. I was on the faculty of Vanderbilt Divinity School.
2: Oh, terrific. A That's a great school.
3: Uh, mostly, mostly adjunct, but, but still, I did a lot
2: of... Stuff well, you know, um, g- getting to your question, I, I, one, of the, one of the most powerful um, ways to change people's thinking is really to have personal experiences with people who um, identify as LGBTQ or people who are allies to the community. Okay. Um, and I think, you know, if, if your only source of information is maybe the news or um, something you've read online or something, I think it, it's really hard to change your views. It, what, what makes all the difference is when people um, in, in the LGBTQ community, um, have a willingness to, to speak and to talk about it. That, that really does change hearts and minds. Now that is not easy to do because sometimes, especially, um, um for younger people who are, you know, utterly dependent on parents and caregivers, um, coming out of the closet and speaking openly and being authentic about who you are is dangerous because you can you know, be, be um, cast out of the home, you can be cut off financially. Um, we have a real problem with homelessness um, across the country, especially in the southeastern United States. Uh, with with homelessness, I think in Nashville, as, as since we're talking about Tennessee, in Nashville, there was a homeless um, center there for teenagers. It was called the Oasis Center. Forty percent of the kids at this homeless shelter identified as LGBTQ. And we estimate that fewer than ten percent, probably even fewer than five percent of the population in Nashville would identify as LGBTQ. So you see this huge overrepresentation of LGBTQ in a homeless shelter there in Nashville, Tennessee. And that speaks to the problem of coming out. you know, it, it's dangerous, and if you are cast out of your home, I'm going off on a tangent here, Gerald, but I, I feel like probably this is an important conversation because maybe there's some young people out there who are hearing this, and I want them to hear what I'm saying. But, but if you're cast out, you know, you become you become vulnerable to exploitation and victimization. You can um, fall into the wrong hands, and um, you you know people become desperate to try to you know save themselves from from what's going on. And it's it's just really we've heard so many stories in our clinic about the struggles that these youth have. have have faced when they come out like this. And yet, that being said, having these honest conversations with the people who love you, the people who've raised you, that's how the world changes, I think. That's how we we, we uh, develop our compassion and our empathy. And I would, I would just say to people out there, people like in your former church community in Tennessee, you know, you're never too old to learn and to grow and to evolve. You, you know, your our education doesn't end when we graduate. Our education extends throughout our entire life until the day we die. We are constantly learning and growing and evolving. And hopefully um, um, people hear me on that because that's what it takes. It takes a willingness to adapt, to be flexible, um, to be willing to, to to open your heart and your mind to new concepts sometimes. Sometimes, this is just so foreign to people. People are afraid of what they don't understand. So, having these honest conversations, it allows us to understand people around us better. Um, and that's what I encourage. When it's safe, when we have children and adolescents that are going through this, sometimes we'll just say, have you, have you had this conversation? Is it safe to have this conversation even with your family? And if it is, usually the families who come to us with, with um, their teenagers or whatever, they're already on board to some extent, but maybe they still don't know things. But does that help answer your question a little bit, Gerald? Or?
3: Well, it does, and, and, and it really uh, reminds me of how important it is you mentioned having conversations, mm-hmm. and I find that that is the, I'm, a, I'm a, a not a social worker or a psychiatrist, but I've done a huge amount of counseling in my life and uh, and have been trained in, in that field, and, and, and my observation over the years has been, if you don't talk about it, it's not going to go away. It, well, it's, it's not going to go away regardless, but if you don't talk about it, you're, you're not going to get anywhere. You're not going to deal with it. You're not going to... Uh, come to terms with whatever you need to come to terms with. And uh, so I appreciate your recognition of that, uh, the the idea that that conversation is just basic to almost any kind of disagreement, but but in particular, something as sensitive as this.
2: You know, for the LGBTQ community, though, for the members of that group, coming out to your friends and family is maybe one of the hardest things you will ever do in your entire life. It um, is. I want to be son,
3: mm-hmm. uh, Exactly, but but here's the thing, I, and I, I've tried that. But I've counseled a number of people over years. You. you know, find a, either a religious professional, somebody that you trust, a teacher, an educator, a friend, or a, an older person, somebody who's a, your, maybe your physician or uh, whoever it is. Just find somebody that you can talk to about this. And then they help. Let them help you or guide you in in how to navigate this whole process. I I, I think that's a, a helpful way to approach it.
2: And hopefully, the person you choose to come out to is an affirming individual, right? Someone that s that has an understanding and can support you. That's that's so critical.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's really important um, because the. And the other thing that I would say is um, sometimes despite our best efforts at trying to be discerning about who the right person is to talk to, um, sometimes in their humanity, they can let us down. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I would just say to those people who are struggling and who are really trying to just live and be who they are, um, that even when, when those around us may sometimes let us down, we have to realize that that's kind of an issue more about them than it really is about about you. Um, and, and even well-intentioned people who love us very much will sometimes disappoint us. Um, and so don't let that be something that... Um, that makes you feel worse about yourself. Because the truth is that a lot of this is really about managing expectations. And um, who are I, when you stop and think about it, like, who are we to really put our expectations off on other on other people? Um, I don't I can't tell you, Dr. Rogers, I can't tell you who you are. I can tell you who I a, who I, who I want you to be. I can tell you who I think you should be. I can tell you who I think you are. I can tell you who I think I've created you to be. but well, I didn't create you, but I'm just saying like those are and all of those are rooted in another person's expectations. And just because another person has expectations, it does not make that reality. And I feel like so many people struggle with trying to live up to or meet and other people's expectations, you are you are a psychiatrist. You probably know that a lot of mental energy is wasted or spent on this concept of trying to meet the expectations of others. And if we just take a moment and step back and think about, you know, is this really? Is this what we want for this person who we love and we care about? And you know, Gerald called early. We have I have a I have a friend who shared with me about their child coming out to them, and the person was clearly shaken. And I said, "Well, you do realize that it's the same child, right? Like this is the same this is the same baby that was your baby yesterday." when you didn't know this information and now is your baby today and the only thing about your baby that has changed is that now you know this information but the child is still the same and and there was a moment of silence and clarity to which my friend said yeah you're right but but I just had all these thoughts all these ideas I was like exactly your expectations but I hug my kids, and I tell them regularly, you know, I have little bitty babies. There's nothing that you can do that would ever make me not love you. There's nothing you can do. You can do some stuff that'll make me pretty mad, and you will do some. Th- you could do some things that I might not necessarily be supportive of, or I might not like those choices. Or I might not make that choice for you. But there's nothing that you could do that would ever make me not love you, and and I feel like that when you say that con- that word affirming, just to be affirming that because I want my littles to know that whatever it is that they're challenged with, like there's not going to be anything that's going to separate you from from the mama bear love, um, and I just hate that there are people out there who either question that level of support from their community their village their people and don't feel like they can have that level of level of vulnerability like no level of disappointment is going to be enough to supersede the, the strength of our love and that like my heart breaks for people who struggle with that, but I know that that struggle exists and it's very real. And for those of us who really kind of are pounding the pavements about love, like we have to keep messaging that. We have to keep talking to people. We redirect them when they come to us about those things. And that's how we make the difference. And it might just be one or two people at a time. Maybe you just make a difference in your area, in your space of the world. But that's how we move the needle. And I just think that that's so important for for people to have a safe space. And, again, people you love can disappoint you. I'm sure I've disappointed people who love me. I'm sure that people that I love have disappointed me from time to time. But to me, ultimately, love has to be the thing that wins in the end.
1: Well, thank you for your call, Jared, and for your wonderful comments. Um, Dr. Rogers, you talked some about homelessness as being an issue, yes. um, and h- how about um, mental illness, about depression, um, anxiety? Is that something that is also seen um, in the LGBT community? Because I would imagine that being just having the stress of just uh, maybe not being able to be who you truly are for some right. um, would be taxing.
2: There are higher rates of depression, anxiety, and substance use disorders in the LGBTQ community. Within that community, the group with the highest risk of, of, of psychiatric concerns is the transgender community. There is there They are, I would say, the most marginalized group of people from within the LGBTQ community. Um, things are beginning to change for lesbian gay bisexual people although it's not where it needs to be but i would say we still have a long way to go in terms of our compassion and understanding for the transgender community and that that is what needs to happen if you look at groups of of young people um, the group with the highest risk of suicide is transgender youth that they're very, very, um, I would say, vulnerable to um, um, uh, d- discrimination mm-hmm. and harassment and bullying. And victimization Uh, and so when you when you you know you're talking about social supports if if the family happens to be supportive and loving unconditionally then that's that's life-saving we've actually looked at this we've done some research on this already and we have found that the one variable that makes the biggest difference in the health and well-being the mental health and the overall health of transgender youth is parental love and acceptance Nothing else is important. The school matters, certainly, you know, whether, you know, Gerald was talking about churches and their Mm -hmm. position on things. All those things are important. But what makes the difference is the parent. If the parent is loving and compassionate and accepting um, of their child unconditionally, it's life-saving. No doctor replaces that. No one like me in a team clinic, as much as we want to help, we can't replace that. So I would say that's, a, you know, an answer to your question. Yes, the rates are off the charts. They're much, much higher. We also know we're looking right now, we have an ongoing study looking at how our work makes a difference for mm-hmm. for kids and for adults so we're doing before and after so we're taking patients as they come to us and doing overall assessments of mental health mm-hmm. and overall physical health and then um, um, assessing them along the way as they as they see us in an, this an affirming healthcare environment. environment as we provide them with care that they need we then look to see if there's improvement we have there are other studies that show very clearly that Interventions like the ones we're making help; that they, they do matter. Um, so we're wanting to to see if that's also true in Mississippi. We fully anticipate that it will be.
0: I love the fact that um, you know, Gerald mentioned that they had there was that the church had actually come in, so they brought people in, educated themselves, and then just and and made a conscience. It sounded like there was a shift um, mm-hmm. that occurred um, within the community and uh, to trying to be more supportive. I love that because for a lot of people, and um, so I, I love Billy Porter. Sorry, um, and Billy Porter has been very open about some of the challenges and struggles that he had as a young man growing up in the South, who identified as gay, and 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 how the church was such a big part of his upbringing, mm-hmm. and there was this this dissonance between like this this what he knew his church home and experience to be, and yet this problem of feeling like he wouldn't be accepted by those same people and so um, I just I think it's great that he mentioned that because there are for a lot of people you know a lot of folks that do connect with with churches spirituality and and religious centers and feel like that is a haven for them but for others even in the midst of what one would might think would be a very accepting and loving environment. People have not really always felt that, and so I think that it's really important, even, even, even the, us good church folks, um, that that there is an opportunity we can still learn, we can still do more, we can still be more. And I think that um, that was just a really important thing because everybody has not always felt um, welcome and accepted in those environments, um, even though, and you would kind of think that that should typically be. Um, Something that that should be available or or a way that people would feel in in those uh, particular places, especially in places of worship. So I just um, wanted to mention that because that was something that resonated with me and and hearing Billy Porter tell his story. And then also hearing that same type of story echoed. I'm a Southern girl. You guys know that. Um, Hearing that echoed in the experiences of my own personal friends and, and other people that I've had relationships with who have also said that that's been their experience. And I don't, again, I don't know that that's what people really intend or mean to do. Um, And so we just always need to be mindful about that as well. All right. Outro. How in the world did that happen so fast? I thought we just started like 10 minutes ago. (laughs)
1: Dr. Rogers, thank you so much for joining us today and to talk about such an important topic and something that doesn't really doesn't get talked about enough, um, especially with the general public. And so we definitely are always welcome you to come here to talk about anything you want to talk about. Um, But we do love having you here for your expertise in this area. And thank you for all that you're doing at UMMC and for the state of Mississippi.
2: Thank you, Allie. Thank you, Michelle. I enjoy being here.
1: Fantastic. This uh show was uh produced and engineered by Jay White. Liz Gill was our call screener for Dr. Michelle Owens. I'm Dr. Allie Brown. This is Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio. NPR's Here and Now is next on MPB Think Radio.
0: Be Kind Love More.